Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. With me, as usual, is Jack Herr from our investment team. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing great, Josh. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with who we are, at Steer Wealth, we manage investments for successful families, high-performing professionals, and organizations across the country, and become your wealth manager confidant and personal CFO. So you can relax and focus your time and energy on what's important to you. Jack, before we get started, anything new going on in the world for you? I know that the weather's really cleared up here. We finally got some rain after a long drought, and then we've got some sunshine, huh? Yeah, lots of rain, some flooding around here, but gladly everyone in our office is safe, which is good. We also got football season started, so as you know, I'm a big TCU fan. I know you're you're a Longhorn, but we won our first game, so it was a good long weekend for Labor Day and just a good recharge for the rest of the year. I've been noticing, though, that you know, out in California, they're still in those really high temperatures. I was really happy to get all the rain here. I mean, it was raining cats and dogs for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, it's always good to see a little green when you walk outside. So, Jack, I got a question for you. What do you got for me? You know, the weather's been real bad here lately. We were talking about the uh, cats and dogs. What if it started raining chickens and ducks? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. The weather would be pretty foul then, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. (laughs) We're going to focus on a really good topic today, something that Jack and I are excited to discuss. We've been fielding a lot of calls. This has been a challenging year for most of our investors here in 2022. It's now the month of September, and I tell you what, it's been a real grind, hasn't it, Jack? Yeah, it has, especially over the last couple of months in in the market. Well, Jack, why don't you take us into the trading room and bring us up to date on what you've been seeing? Yeah, absolutely. So we've definitely seen our up and downs over the last couple months, but not much change since we were on the podcast last time. The markets, we're still looking at the same things, right? It's it's inflation, it's interest rates, it's what's the Federal Reserve going to do next? Where's GDP going with our economy? So, you know, it's, it's those type of things still. And one thing I did pick out when we talk about inflation a lot is just what certain sectors are showing in prices. Josh, we've talked about energy all year, basically, and how energy prices are remain high. I'm sure the, the consumer and a lot of our listeners are still feeling that. But we are seeing some plateauing in prices. Don't know if it's a peak yet, but we've seen some food prices start to move down. I just saw some data, actually, in particular, with used car prices starting to move down a little bit. So it's going to be our job in the trading room to identify those different industries, see where prices are remaining higher, where we can invest in the market and protect our clients' money from that inflation and where prices may be going down a little bit. Demand might be decreasing. So that's what we're looking at here. I guess it would be nice if it was raining chickens then, right? Maybe turkeys <laughs> as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> chickens, one of those things that's, you know, it's, we've seen kind of plateau and many of our consumers, I don't know if they're seeing it yet in the grocery stores. We'll see, but yeah, um, I yeah. don't know about you, the co- price of coffee, and I know that all the main coffee outlets, the big one that we all go to probably four or five times a week is raising their prices again. So definitely feel that pain. So what else have you seen? Those are the main things right now in the market. But one point I did want to touch on is I just want to talk a little bit about market bottoms and kind of the history of them. I don't want to go into too much detail. The main question we probably get is, is this the bottom? When, when, when is the bottom hitting? And that's the million dollar question, right? We all want to be able to time the bottom and put all our money in at that point and make tons of money. But I think COVID gave a lot of investors, especially some newer investors, some unrealistic expectations. Josh, we saw that big decline right away in COVID. And it was so fast. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, exactly. And a lot of our listeners, they only saw two or three statements, uh, monthly statements where their values were negative. And then we actually ended the year positive in, in 2020. And we got a bunch of free money, Jack, on top of that. Yeah, So not exactly. only did we bounce back, but we all got checks in the mail. Exactly. So the, the investment accounts were in good shape. The consumer was in good shape. But going back a little further than even like 2000, you can really see that a lot of these bottoms, they do take time. There's especially right now, there's a lot of uncertainty and that's normal. The market tries to work out the next six months, the next 12 months where the economy's going. And ultimately we will see some new leaders, some new companies, some exciting opportunities emerge from this drawdown that we've seen. But I just wanted to set some expectations for our listeners that the market bottoms don't always last a month. Sometimes they last six months, sometimes it's a year, sometimes even a little longer. So just really wanted to touch on that point, especially you know, as we came out of the COVID sell-off. And what a great segue into our topic today, Jack. Yeah, definitely. Do we want to get right into it? Absolutely. So Jack and I chose a topic for today that really married quite well with episode 26 and 27 that we recently did. You know, we, we discussed uh, quality investing in episode 26 and episode 27. We focused on a lot of the common mistakes that investors were making during these down markets. So Jack, this one's been dragging on a little little bit longer. Yeah, Josh, and I think one of the reasons this topic's so timely now is because, you know, when we have this sustained period of underperformance, people get antsy, right? They want to find new ways to invest. They want to stray from their, their strategy and, and they want to invest in new things, right? Something that's doing better than the market. So you got it. So all the listeners today, we are speaking to you. If you're antsy, as Jack talked about today, if you're starting to feel that you're missing out, if you're looking at the market, you're looking at your statement month to month, you're starting to see uh, or feel a little fatigue, right? I mean, the market's been down for, you know, eight months straight. You know, we're into month nine now. We had a couple uh, uh, periods of, uh, uh, I don't know, Jack, what would you call it? Rest in a couple of months over the year, but market's been pretty much down the whole time. So we want to talk to you a little bit about these feelings that you have where you feel that you're missing out. You might be uh, being presented with investments that sound too good to be true, investments that you know are different than you've ever seen before. You might be considering things that you normally wouldn't consider in a normal market and really just questioning your overall strategy. So that's what we want to talk about today. Anything else to add to that, Jack? Yeah, Josh, one thing I'd say is just these type of investments, especially in extreme markets, um, they become more easily accessible to your average investor. There's sales teams that are built that are trying to sell these type of investments. I mean, you know, these these crafty salespeople, they know that, you know, people are getting antsy. They may not like the performance of the market and they're they're ready to offer these unrealistic expectations on certain investments and it can be hard. It can be very difficult to to pass up on some of these opportunities that may sound great and guarantee your return. But as we know, and as we're going to talk about today, that's not always the case. Oh, yeah. And it just reminds me of being in the desert. You know, for the last eight months, we're looking for water and suddenly the clouds open up and it starts raining ducks on us. And we figure out, we're wondering what the heck happened, right? So today we're going to talk about those quacks that we see, uh, you know, that may may look really appetizing, but we want to try to avoid and uh, call them out for what they are. And I'm going to give you just some some points today to be able to identify those ducks when you're actually looking for water in the desert and and searching for yield and looking for any income in an environment that uh, may seem like we're in a long drought for returns. So let's uh, let's start out with uh, just how to identify 
investments that may not be appropriate for your long-term strategy in this type of environment. And Jack, today, you know, you really mentioned this earlier. I want to start out with just unrealistic uh, promises or, or statements for really high uh, market income or returns. So what do you have to say about that, Jack? Yeah, it'd be nice if you could guarantee to beat the market or to always have a positive return, even even when we see these big drawdowns, wouldn't it? It would be. And my favorite uh, that I'm, I'm starting to hear recently is stock market returns with little or no risk. You know, that's a claim that sounds to me uh, really good, right? It, it uh, almost too good to be true, right? Yeah, um, we, we've talked a lot about the return versus risk aspect. And I know we've done even a podcast on that. So I encourage our listeners to go listen to that as a primer to this, because it's an important concept that and can be hard to understand sometimes. Josh, we talk about guaranteeing um, positive returns, even when the market's down. Can you give our listeners an example or two of one of these type of investments? Yeah, so we'll talk a little later. Uh, I don't want to steal the thunder from one of our other points at the end about certain types of products, but there are certain types of so-called investments out there that are investments really only in name, and they're selling another type of product, and really what you're buying is insurance. And the investment stock market return with little or no risk is, is very misleading in the way that it's sold. And I, I really want investors to understand something that we all learned pretty early, probably in our 20s when we started making good money and we start getting sold stuff, that there's no such thing as a free lunch. The market is going to bear a certain level of return, like you said earlier, based on the amount of risk you're taking. Right. And there are no freebies. I mean, we know that. If there were, we'd all jump on it and we'd lower the rate of return and then that investment wouldn't need any more capital, right? I mean, it's a, that's what happens in a free market economy. So like you said earlier, there's... The risk and return have to stay in balance, and uh, in general, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Another thing that I want to mention is, Jack, you're, you're a little too young uh, to remember this, but uh, you were probably in college or maybe a little bit before, but back in 2009, a gentleman by the name of Alan Stanford defrauded investors by offering higher than normal rates of return on CDs. I mean, he was put in prison for running a Ponzi scheme. So, And, and I, I heard these advertisements on the radio myself as a professional. And, you know, as a professional, you know where market rates are at, right? You know that CDs, I think at that point, were paying around 2%. And he was offering, his firm was offering CD rates uh, uh, much higher than that. So unreasonable expectations is a tip-off that something's wrong. And you need to grab your wallet, step back, pump the brakes, and and make sure you're not going to end up with something that, that you're going to lose money on or something that's going to present a very high level of risk. And that's what we're talking about, Jack, and we're talking about quacks. You know, we're talking about, you know, you can hear them, you know, just like a duck quacking. I mean, you can hear this stuff you look for. That's what we call it here in the trading room, and we're looking for those ducks to try to steer our investors away from them. Yeah, Josh, and I know it can be hard, too, especially, um, you know, if, if someone gets real excited about an investment, right, and maybe they were sold on something. And oh, and if you hear it on the radio, it's got to be true, right, Jack? Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's all these forms of media, even social media. Yeah. Um, we have that, and, you know, it's things just sound really good, and, again, investors, they may just get desperate during these times of, you know, market underperformance. And, or it may and just be, and, and, and desperation, uh, especially if you're retired and you need that income, I completely get it, but if you're sitting around, Jack, and you're smoking a cigar with your buddies and and you're in front of your uh, new wife everybody by the way jack just got married um <laughs> if you're in front of your new wife and you're trying to to look good and your friend says that you know he's getting nine percent on his cd jack why are you only getting two you know a lot of it's not uh, desperation a lot of it's just our 
wanting as human beings to be accepted in our group and, and belong. And I think that we just need to recognize that. If we're sitting around playing poker with all of our buddies drinking whiskey and they're bragging about the rates of return they're getting and we're not, we want to be a part of that. We don't want to be left out. And that's something that, that goes far beyond just risk and all the complicated measures for determining risk tolerance it's just you know i don't want to be left out you know it's amazing how we regress back to middle school sometimes right yeah and we even saw um, during covid times everyone staying at home you know they want to invest in the next big thing we had all these stocks that were referred to as meme stocks going oh, yeah. way up and people you know saying hey i got this return and oh it's amazing people- nobody's going to see movies but we're all buying amc stock right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and Josh, I, th- I think the second thing about these type of investments is a lot of times they're they're just very complicated and they're difficult to understand. And this is one thing I've seen in the industry just over the last five years. Not only are they more complicated and difficult to understand, but they're very easily accessible now. Um, they're being packaged as these funds that people can invest in. They have low minimums. So you know, I, I think it's important for people to read the fine print when there's 10 to 15 pages trying to explain an investment. It may not be an investment for you because I know I've read some of those and come away with, what the heck does this mean? I, I don't I'm, even know. No, I'm glad you mentioned that. Point number two just being that, you know, complicated investments, the more complicated they are, I think the probability goes up that it's either too risky or it's not a good investment. And I'm just thinking about, you know, some of the private placements that we've seen over the years, Jack. Our firm over the last decade has probably evaluated as many private placements. There's been only one that's come across my desk that I looked at and I thought had a lot of merit. It was very simple, straightforward, easy to understand, uh, and just paid out regular income. And also, just uh, point one earlier, it wasn't promising unrealistic returns or, you know, excessive returns or returns in excess of the market. So, I think that a lot of these points that you're making have to be considered together. But uh, and going back to your point about 10 to 15 pages of material, I mean, you look at these investments and you've got on those 10 to 15 pages disclosures that basically tell you that you should not buy the investment and how risky it is. I mean, it uh, you know a lot of <laughs> folks don't realize that. And you know, we're all we're all used to to signing right, and to now it's even worse with DocuSign. But you go in to buy a house and. You know, you sit down with a mortgage broker and they flip through pages and you never even look at what you're signing. And unfortunately, that's crept its way into the investment world. So I just want all of our listeners to know that if you're sitting down to buy an investment and you don't understand it and it's extremely complicated, it can't easily be explained to you very quickly, very, very succinctly, and you're having to sign all these disclosures to buy it, I really think you should, again, pump the brakes and be looking for a quack investment. I just think that that's that's something that uh, we all have to uh, come to grips with, that those investments are out there. And the more complicated it is, doesn't necessarily mean it's a better investment. Yeah, Josh, and I think one other trick some of these companies use is they'll take a legitimate investment, maybe um, you know a form of real estate or something along those lines, and they'll repackage it up and make it even more confusing. And I think that a lot of people will say, okay, real estate, I know that market well, but, um, you know, maybe it's in not a great area or maybe it's, um, you know, just promising a return that really isn't in line with the market, like you mentioned earlier. So taking a more legitimate concept and um, making it more confusing and difficult to understand, um, I I think sometimes that a lot of these companies can try to sell it that way. And, you know, that'll give investors some confidence, even though there may be a guarantee there, or maybe just even more difficult to understand than initially meets the eye. 
Yes, too. And just going back to there's no such thing as a free lunch. I just, I mean, when a lot of you were talking about real estate and, and again, real estate is a legitimate investment. What Jack's talking about is these private placements where they package up the investments in there. They're so hard up for capital. They can't get capital through another means, either through the public markets or through a bank. And they're having to promise these very high rates of return in structuring the deal that they can earn their fees and still come out of these hole if there's a problem. And so that's where the complicated deal structure, the disclosures come in. So Jack, this, if you don't mind, I'd like to take the next point. The third point that I'd like for our listeners to really take home with them today and to make sure they jot down is just fees. As you go through and evaluate investments as an individual, as a family, as a nonprofit organization, you need to really pay attention to fees. One of the really driving forces when we founded Steer Wealth and this firm was our fees are very transparent. We make more money when our clients do better. We make less money when our clients do worse. It's we feel like our objectives are in line with our clients. And one of the things that I saw in this industry over the years was fees are just too complicated. And really, a lot of these products are not being purchased by investors. They're being sold by the insurance salespeople. They're, we talked about complicated. We talk about difficult to understand. But really, this applies to fees as well. So if fees are extremely high, you need to be careful. Uh, there's a reason that they're high. Either there's a lot of moving parts, the investment's very complicated, or you're not getting what you think you, you uh, are getting. Also, if the fee structure is very complicated, most money managers, even, even hedge funds and more complicated firms, have a pretty straightforward fee schedule. You know, they're going to bill you on a percentage of your assets, and, and our firm doesn't do this, but I know there's some firms are. They'll bill you as a percentage of your profits as well. But it's still pretty straightforward, and it's easy to understand. A lot of fee structures are very complicated. Uh, you know, you're charged this if you do this, you're charged this if you do that. The more complicated it is, it's kind of like what you were talking about on those 10 to 15 pages. If you can't understand the fees and, or if the broker or salesperson or advisor cannot explain to you the fees or, God forbid, they tell you there is no fee, th th does that sound right to you? Yeah, well, Josh, this this one really hits home with me because if, if our listeners don't know, um, you know, one of my main responsibilities here is to find the fees and to buy the investments that we choose at the best possible price for our clients. And a lot of times we're dealing with those hidden fees. They're not always just on the front cover page. In fact, they rarely are. So, you know, even sometimes we spend a lot of time in the trading room looking through our investments, making sure there's no hidden fees. And, um, you know, that's a big part of our business. So I can definitely relate to the, the client here, um, especially with these hidden fees. And a lot of times, yes, they are at the, the very end of the packet and they, they can come in a lot of different ways, as you alluded to. The Red Commentary is brought to you by Steer Wealth. At Steer Wealth, our sophisticated team becomes your proactive wealth manager, your confidant and personal CFO. So relax and focus your time and energy on what's important to you. Contact us today at info at steerwealth.com. That's info at S-T-Y-R-E.com. So Jack, I do want to give you, I think, an example that would really help explain complicated or hidden fees. I mean, you had mentioned earlier you were explaining mutual funds as one of the investments that you really have to research a lot just to figure out how much our investors are paying based on the, the funds that we choose and, and some of our mutual fund strategies. So uh, let me just use an example. 
There are several different types of ways that mutual funds charge fees. We don't use the upfront fee kind, but there are share classes that charge their fees upfront. So the basic idea is an investor pays, let's say, a 4 or 5% upfront commission. Then they go into a mutual fund and they just pay the annual fee. But guess what? Guess how much the broker gets paid on that transaction? I'd say about 4 or 5%. Exactly. It's pretty easy, right? It's pretty transparent. So even if you don't like paying that fee, I have no problem with an upfront loaded share if you're buying it from a broker, because it's easy, right? You understand what it is, it's not hidden, and everybody knows what you're buying. Unfortunately, over the years, they created these shares that hid that upfront fee, still paid the broker the 5% upfront, and then charged you a higher fee, but they wouldn't let you out of the investment for the next four or five years, so they could recover that four or 5%. So those are called contingent deferred sales charges, and that's what I mean about that. I just our business really is built on transparency and trust here at Steer Wealth, and that's something that investors need to understand, that if fees are really high, complicated, or you can't find them, you need to pump the brakes, grab your wallet, because it's probably a quack investment and you're looking, for, you're looking at a duck there. One thing you referenced but didn't particularly say is funds being locked up, right? You know, there's, there's typically a fee that's charged based on how long you own a fund. And I think specifically of a private placement fund, right? You get excited about a fund, whether it's in real estate or or something else, maybe it's in in energy, that's a popular one we've seen. And you, you know, there may be a minimum that you have to pay to invest in the fund, but they they don't always tell you that you have to stay in that fund for a while, right? And if you want to try to get out, there's not a lot of liquidity. You may have to sell your shares at a discounted price to a different investor. Um, so it's something you kind of talked about in your answer, but didn't exactly say is a lot of times these alternative investments, they have less or no liquidity compared to the market where we have a lot of flexibility. You can go on any of your apps online. You can see the price that you can sell at, and it's, it's just a much easier environment if you need to get your money out. It is. And I think you brought up point number four. And when you're trying to find those quack investments and you're trying to identify those ducks out there, the lack of liquidity and just access to funds, it's an easy thing to spot. When you are evaluating an investment, this may seem very basic, but you need to ask point blank, very straightforward, how can I get my money? And I want to give investors and listeners an example. Even if we were to go out, and you can comment on this too, Jack, if we were to go out and we were to buy a 30-year bond, I mean, it sounds like you're buying something that's tied up, but that 30-year treasury bond is marketable. You can sell it. We can turn it into cash. You may not get what you paid for it because especially in this interest rate environment, bonds move up and down, especially in an environment of rising rates. What we're talking about is you put money into some of these private placements or some of these other investment products, and you can't get your money because it's not marketable. There's no market to sell it into. So you invest half a million or a million dollars into an investment and you can't get your money out. Yeah, or even sometimes you can get your money out, but it's at a price that's so ridiculously low that no one would ever want to do it unless they were under you know extreme conditions or they really did you know need some cash or liquidity. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because some of these, you know, our first point was the unrealistic promises and expectations of investment returns that we might hear on the radio or through other investment products. A lot of those types of investments are really the danger here when we talk about liquidity, because you end up, you hear this uh, pitch on the radio, you buy into this product, let's call it a product and not an investment, 
and you realize that you can only get 10% of your principal out, or in some cases, zero. Yeah. And that's not a good place to be in if you're approaching retirement or if you're in retirement. And so just point number four with liquidity and access to your principal is for our listeners is you need to be very clear with what type of access do you have to your principal if you were to, as we joke with our clients, if you were to leave the country and go to Costa Rica and, and never look back, you know, how could you get to your, how much could you get to and how, and how fast could you get it? I mean, that's really helps and put things into perspective with liquidity because remember liquidity is not just your ability to sell your investment quickly. It's exactly what you said earlier, your ability to sell that investment without having a material impact on the price. And so I think that's the point that that our investors need to remember. So for point number four, I just want to make sure limited access to your principal or no liquidity is definitely one of those quack signs of an investment that you might be reaching for, like you're reaching for water in the desert during a tough time. And Jack, this is a good segue too for something I wanted to talk about, which is the last point. I saved this point for last because it's really become more common over the last, I think, decades since I've been you know, I've been doing this over 20 years, but the last 10 years, I've been seeing a lot of insurance products that are positioned as investments. And for those of my listeners who are in the insurance business, uh, we, Jack and I are not knocking the insurance business at all. Um, we think there's definitely value in insurance and even the types of products that we're going to be talking about. The, the biggest challenge I have is when they're positioned as an investment strategy or something that they're not. A lot of times, insurance products, you have to be very careful with them and you have to have an advisor that's competent and that uses them as a part of a larger strategy because a lot of these products jack can be very complicated they pretty much hit on all these buttons that we talked about earlier they can be very illiquid they can have very complicated fees so we want to make sure that we're only using these as tools to solve financial problems and a lot of times those financial problems are tax related or they are a key component of a good estate plan where we have a challenge is where they're presented as kind of a cure-all for an investment strategy for retirement or just because the market's not doing well. And, and especially my favorite is this is where the stock market return with little or no risk ads come in, right? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's funny you bring this up. I actually have a family member that was recently pitched one of these investments, and it was pitched as if the market's down, you get a, a certain positive return, and if the market's up, the, the sky's the limit, basically. And so, um, you know, we talked about the dangers in that, but one thing I also think about is, you know, how are these people that are selling these investments, how are they getting paid? And you know a little bit more about the insurance industry than me, Josh, but when these investment products get on the market, some of them have some pretty high commissions. Same with the funds that we've talked about earlier and some of the private placement options as well. But that's what I kind of think about is the incentives of, of the salesperson and, and working with someone you trust, like, like you stated. Well, and, and I appreciate that. So let me break it down just as the last point for our listeners today that, again, let's split this up basically into, into two camps here. So let's talk about annuities and let's talk about permanent life insurance. So when you talked about earlier, you know, you make money if the market goes up or you make money when the market uh, goes down and you make uh, sky's a limit if the market goes up. What you're talking about, I believe, is some type of an indexed annuity. A lot of these different products out there, these are legitimate products and they are uh, tools that you have available. But I just want to make sure our listeners understand these are insurance products. They are sold by an insurance agent and are sold by an insurance company or underwritten by an insurance company. 
if we apply some of our checklist earlier and some of our quacks that we're looking for, some of these signs that we're looking for to identify investments that you may want to tap the brakes on, think a little more about, let's just take a look at how these products are being sold. Because when I mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of these products are, are, you don't go out looking for them. They're sold to you. Most people wouldn't know about them. The fees are very high, Jack. and, And that's one of the reasons that these investments are sold to you. I remember when I was sitting at my desk, it's probably been about 15 or 18 years ago, I know, which is like ancient for some of our listeners, but I remember sitting at my desk and seeing a fax that uh, that my assistant brought to me, and it was highlighting a 10% commission from an American insurance company on an annuity, on a fixed uh, or on on an indexed annuity product. And you look at it, and I want everybody, all our listeners to really think about that. So Jack, what would the commission be? If you had a 500000 rollover, which is our firm minimum, by the way, a $500,000 rollover at a 10% commission, how much would that insurance agent make the moment you moment the money hit the account and you sign the contract? It's a pretty nice payday, $50,000. $50,000. I want everybody to think about that and just really give that some thought. That co- particular contract, I don't know if it exists till today, but had a 17-year 17 17 surrender schedule on it. So you weren't able to get your money back without a surrender charge for 17 years. That was the longest surrender schedule I had seen up to that point. And the reason that they had to do that, Jack, is because there's no such thing as a free lunch. The insurance company had to recover the $50,000 commission that they paid the broker for selling that contract. Now, that's an extreme example of some of the uh, annuity contracts that we review for, from new clients that bring it to us. The typical situation is a new investor is locked up in these contracts, Jack, and they don't know how to get out of them. And they've been sold this contract. It's not performing the way it was. In fact, the contract that came across my desk last week had a five-year return that was flat to, to negative. Five years, including some of the great years you know, of, of 2021 and 2020. Right. I mean, I understand that 2022 hasn't been the best year to be invested, but to not make money for five years, and part of the reason for that, Jack, is that these contracts just have very high fees. They have very high fees. You are buying, when you buy an insurance policy, you're, uh, an insurance contract, you're buying insurance. And so what are you buying insurance for is the real question that our listeners should be asking today. So an annuity contract, you're buying insurance usually on a bucket of money. An annuity is a stream of, in most cases, substantially equal payments for the duration of a person's natural life. As you can imagine, as I explain that, that could be very valuable in financial planning if that's what you needed. And there are situations where those come up. What it shouldn't be used for is to feel like you are, or to is a tool to try to eliminate all the risk in your portfolio because it's not. There's a lot of different risks. And the primary risk that you have is right now that we're dealing with that we've talked about on this podcast is with inflation. I mean, we've got to uh, keep our uh, investment returns ahead of the overall uh, rate of inflation over a long period of time. And if you're making a 0% rate of return over a five-year period, you're not really doing that. And plus, some of these other points, your money being locked up, not understanding your investments and paying a lot, a lot of fees, and getting into a tax situation, which we'd probably cover on another episode because there's so much information there. So that's you know a, a pretty long summary on annuities, but just be careful you know when you're looking at an investment strategy. A lot of uh, annuity type investments they sound really great on paper, but they hit all these red flags as far as being complicated, having high fees, having long contracts, lots of disclosure, and a lack of liquidity. I'm not saying that annuities are a bad product because they're not. There are times when they're very beneficial, but 
as a cure-all for your retirement plan. They definitely uh, deserve more than a second look. Yeah, and I just want to echo what you say. I mean, you know, you talked about annuities and how clear it was that they were violating a lot of the things we talked about today. But like I said earlier, the, these things can be very tricky. Um, they got a lot of salespeople that are dedicated to, to selling these funds and to getting people excited. And sometimes you do have to read a little bit and, and find this information. And usually when you have to read, like we said, 5, 10, 15 pages, there's probably these red flags in there. So, um, so how do you, and, and another thing I want to just, and in closing on, on the insurance, you know, we didn't get to talk about the, the actual life insurance contracts, but those are sold under the name of life insurance, retirement plan, variable, universal life, universal life. Uh, again, I'm not saying that they're not appropriate for, you know, certain um, strategic financial planning situations. So if you have one, there's not a reason to, to run and panic. A lot of these policies are used for very good things. The point I am making is if you're using a variable life insurance policy or one of these life insurance programs as your total strategy for retirement, it's probably good to get a second opinion by not only an insurance salesman, but someone that can actually act in your best interest, which is a fiduciary. And, and that's, that's the role that our firm takes and part of the reason we feel so strongly about this because we are a fiduciary and we're proud of, of being in that role. So just in closing on the insurance piece, Jack, how do you know if you're buying an insurance contract? I think there's a couple things you can look at. Is it being sold by an insurance company? That's pretty good and pretty obvious, right? If it's being sold by a broker or an advisor and it's a, you know, a mutual fund or something else, you can be a little clear just by the company selling it, right? Just ask the person selling it to you if it requires an insurance license to sell it. Because if it does, it's probably an insurance policy, no matter what they're calling it. And the last thing isn't always 100% accurate, but it can be a good indicator of what you're buying is, does that policy have a death benefit, which covers a lot of annuities and life insurance contracts. So I just want to run through this for our listeners again. I know Jack and I have covered a lot for all of you that are listening, but um, just to review number one, unrealistic statements or expectations, promises about rates of return that are more than you know that you have, or more than you have seen in the market is, is a, that's what we consider a quack. And that's definitely a a red flag. The second is if the structure of the investment is very complicated, or as Jack said, you're, you're signing 5, 10, 15 pages of disclosures just to do the investment, you know, that's quack number two, and that, that's uh, you're on your way to, to finding a duck here. I think number three is if you have really high complicated or hidden fees. I gave the example earlier of upfront fee or level fee mutual funds versus back-end fees. You know, you're going to pay the fees, folks. It's just a question of how you're paying and whether or not your advisor or broker is being transparent and, and, and telling you what those fees are. The fourth quack that we're looking for here is just limited access to your principal. I mean, if the investment has no liquidity, you're not able to get your money out, or as Jack said, it's a significantly lower price, or they're limiting you to some low percentage or some schedule to taking your money out, that's a risk. And that's something that you need to understand before you go into that investments. And the last is if the investment's being sold by an insurance company, if the, if it looks like an insurance contract, you know, it's like we say about ducks, if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So, you know, insurance products, unfortunately, can be a little, uh, little challenging to understand what you're buying unless you know what you're looking for. And that's what we're trying to do today. So, Jack, any other great information you want to give us today before we wrap up, or do you just want to tell us how great your honeymoon was? <laughs> oh, Josh, I'll definitely talk about that. Went to uh, Greece and Italy. It was a great time. Got to spend two weeks there. Appreciate everyone in the office working a little harder for me over those two weeks while I was gone. But, no, just, just a great time, and happy to, happy to be back, recharged for the rest of the year. So. 
So everybody who's listening today uh, to our investors and clients, if you call in, you need to make sure and give Jack a really hard time because <laughs> we did have to cover for him for over two weeks, but we're glad to have him back. In closing today, I just want to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to listen today. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, please take the time to rate our podcast and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform and never miss an episode. Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy the show, please share the Red Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also love feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time or you just want to give Jack a hard time, please contact us. We love hearing from you. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.